Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 376 with Gabby Leibovich of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, Nathan here from hometown Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. Today's guest, Gabby, is co-founder of Australia's number one e-commerce group called The Catch Group. And uh, after building Catch of the Day from, you know, uh, a garage in 2006, like this company was acquired for... $230 $230 million. Uh, he's founded many other companies like Eat Now, Scoop On, um, and he's also an investor in 20 other tech businesses. So he's done over $1 billion in exits, and this is an incredible interview where we talk about his entrepreneurial journey, really how he identifies entrepreneurs within his team and really finds other people to partner with, the formula for creating luck, the one plus one equals three concept, and really so much more. This is an incredible interview. You're going to absolutely love this one. So guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump in the show. Gabby, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. It's not often that we get to do interviews in person. A lot of them are overseas or online with everything that's happening. But uh, yeah, thanks very much for taking the time. And it's been a crazy year when people have been uh, avoiding each other. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I much prefer this to uh, to something over Zoom, which is uh, not as personal. Yeah, yeah. So it's great to get you in the studio. It's mm. great that you live in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, you've built uh, like multiple extremely successful companies. I was telling um, Charlie offline, when I worked my first job 
uh, at an accounting firm in IT support, um, someone told me about Catch of the Day and I was like a customer. I used to buy stuff from you guys, like probably would have been in, yeah, 2009 or in the early days, you guys, when you first launched. So, um, yeah, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Catch of the Day, how did it start? Yeah, well, like how, do you, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Okay, because it's funny, I never called it a job ever before <laughs> would you believe and it's probably something that i've never shared before with anyone i've never been to an interview and i've never had a resume uh so you know at the age of 18 i was already selling at melbourne markets on sunday and i probably earned uh, you know more in five hours than most people earned in a whole week i was very entrepreneurial we talk about it in the book and my brother was my assistant Hezi, who is my partner today on everything he was 12 years old uh, at the time by the way i have i've just turned 50 recently for 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 the viewers to understand <laughs> the time scale uh, i arrived in australia from israel in 1986 just to put everything into perspective. Yes. I've spent 10 years working in my father's business, which is something similar to a JB Hi-Fi or a Good Guys. Uh-huh. It was a store in Brighton called Panacells, Brighton, Melbourne, uh, selling uh, televisions, microwave, cordless phones, mobile phones, cameras, and the like. And I did that until I was about uh, 32 years old. So throughout my career, I actually worked for my dad, who is a you know, small business uh, entrepreneur of sorts. Yes. And uh, I'm guessing a lot of that uh, retail, what I like to call DNA, rubbed onto me. Whether it's buying, selling, marketing, creating ads, we were advertising on radio, television, newspapers, and, and that was my job. And uh, around the age of 32, it was 2002, I left the job and I looked for something else. And I was literally unemployed, sitting at home for six months, not doing anything, uh, searching online, very early days of uh, of online, looking for something to do. And uh, someone introduced eBay to me. It was very early days of eBay. Not many people knew what eBay actually meant and uh, and its potential. In the early days of eBay, most customers said, is it safe to put your credit card online? And I'm sure that you remember that period. We all smile when we talk about that. But it wasn't that long ago. Mm. Funnily enough, we're just getting out of uh, COVID 2020, this crazy corona year where uh, retail stores were actually shut. And all we did was uh, online shopping for, <laughs> for products and food. And uh, after selling on eBay for uh, two years, literally yeah. from the garage of my suburb in Caulfield, Victoria, going every day to the local post office and shipping 10, 20, 50 items. Uh, Together with my brother, we launched uh, Catch of the Day from a tiny little warehouse in the suburb of Moorabbin. How did you come up with the concept, uh, like one deal a day? Like what what was that? Yeah, so we actually did not come up with it. We spotted an American site that was doing exactly the same thing. We talk in the book that, uh, you know, sometimes in life and in business, it's better to imitate a successful uh, concept than, uh, than be original and be very mediocre. And uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, imitating, copying, grabbing bits and pieces from other successful, uh, you know, digital businesses that you like and creating your own uh, vision, direction and execution. So we spotted a site in the USA called Woot, W-O-O-T.com. Yes. Woot is still in existence today in the USA, and today it's actually owned by Amazon. Oh. And uh, Woot was that crazy company, the first one ever, to come up with that crazy concept of selling one deal a day. Mm. So every day, Woot did it at midnight, and we looked at their concept and said, 
wow, that's really interesting. And we think that we are good buyers. We have some great merchandise. Let's come up. Let's uh, launch the Wood of Australia. And in the book, we discussed that, you know, moment we came up with the name, you know, we came up, we realized that it may have the number 24 in it, which led to catch 24, catch 22, catch of the day. One of us told the other one, what are you crazy? Are we selling fish? This, is, this will never work. Uh, about the never work bit, I remember going to the first few suppliers mm-hmm. around Melbourne. I was the buyer. I was driving in the van around the streets of Melbourne knocking on doors of suppliers and trying to get goods off them. Yes. And uh, I remember speaking to the first bunch of people and telling them that this is what we want to do. And I'm almost certain that as soon as we left the room, they must have looked at each other and said, this guy's crazy. What are they doing? They're selling online. They're selling one deal a day. This concept would never, never, never work out. Mm. But uh, look, four years later, cut the long story short, we were already Australia's most watched uh, online shopping site. Yeah, crazy. Mm. So, um, yeah, like that's that's insanely short growth. Like, what do you think was driving that? We we discuss it in the book, and this is something that we have thought about a lot. And people ask me a lot of time, why was catch catch of the day successful in those early days? What many many that have tried to sell online were not successful, and it comes up to a million different things. Yeah. But if I have to pick one, I always talk about the buyers and the buying capability. So we think that the buyers being a retail business uh, is the reason that they really differentiate us from anything else. We're able to buy goods at very, very low prices. As such, we were able to sell them at prices that were lower than the market price. And that created a lot of street buzz and word of mouth. Mm. I'm always very proud to say that in the first five years in business, we never spent any money on marketing. Our marketing was putting great deals on the page and uh, let the FOMO effect take effect, take control. FOMO, fear of missing out. Our products often sold out within a 24-hour period, four-hour period, one-hour period, sometimes even within 20 minutes. Yep. We were selling some crazy amounts of, of, of goods. I remember days where we sold 4,000 laptops in one day. Yeah, wow. A million dollars of televisions in an hour. Some really, really crazy numbers. And that created a lot of uh, buzz and street talk within the consumers, but also within the supply industry. Everyone started hearing about that crazy little, uh, you know, website in Melbourne that can move, uh, you know, millions of dollars of goods in, uh, in a single day. This was perfect for uh, suppliers because we looked at ourselves as solution providers to those suppliers. Mm. We could go to local suppliers that uh, had stock stuck in the warehouse and every supplier, every brand owner makes some mistakes. None of them are perfect. And they all have something in that corner of the warehouse that they really need to get rid of and convert it back to cash so they can buy the next container of, of goods. And we were able to negotiate hard and get great products at great prices and as such, uh, create a lot of buzz by bringing a whole new bunch of customers. And on top of that, that created a big snowball that brought more media attention, PR, and, 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 and the list goes on. Yeah, so just insane offers with this kind of just hype around missing out, the scarcity. Yep. 
And then you've got this kind of everyday launch model. So you keep building that customer base and you train your customer base to expect an epic deal. So then there's more and more attention, more and more attention. And it's very shareable as well. That's right. And what we decided from day one to keep it even more exciting, we decided to appeal to the whole database, the whole Australian community. Basically, we had deals for guys and girls, young and old, male, female, uh, you know, country, CBD, and so on. Meaning, on day one, we had a DVD player, day two would be perfume, day three, a pillow, day five, a baby toy, and day six, uh, a perfume. You may come in on a Tuesday and not find something that you like, but it would still be something great at a great price. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you may buy it for someone else, or you may not buy anything. But... uh, the, the strength of the deal created that amazing need to come and check us every day at midday. And every day, the, the audience just kept on growing from thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of people that visit us on any given day to see what is the catch of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really miss those days, Adam. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun bringing those crazy goods to the consumers and seeing how much they love it. Yeah, no, look... <clears throat> Really, really interesting. I love your idea around kind of looking for inspiration at other regions or markets and then putting a slight little tweak or putting a little different spin on it because oftentimes people, now more than ever during this time period, people want to start a business but they don't know where to start and they love an idea of having a business, that freedom, that idea of being your in your own control but oftentimes they say well i don't have a good enough idea yet and i'm sure you hear that all the time so it's interesting so in this book we have about 200 lessons the book is catch of the decade everyone number one on booktopia right now in this book there's 200 small lessons and there's about 25 larger lessons and one of the larger lessons actually is about ideas And as investors in startups, a lot of people reach out to us on a regular basis. They say, oh, I've got a great idea, but I'm not sure if I want to share it with you. And But how are you going to get your ideas off the ground unless you open up and share it with someone? Ideas are so easy to find. I mean, I promise you that any idea that you can come up with, someone else is working on it right now around the world. What makes the difference between an idea reaching success or not is those 1,000 small decisions that need to be done in the office every single day by yourself and by your team, of course, that will differentiate you from the winner to the non-winner. For example, Adam, in April 2010, we spotted another great idea online, and that was a company in the USA called Groupon. We all know Groupon right now. And by the way, around the same time that we spotted Groupon, another 80 startups around Australia also spotted Groupon and hundreds around the world. For those that don't know what Groupon is, Groupon uh, is very similar to the concept of Catch, but instead of selling products, they offer discounted uh, services, things along the lines of massage, entry to a theme park, a concert, or a discounted uh, sitting in a restaurant. And uh, we launched Groupon. The start of chapter two starts with the launch of Groupon. And the title of this chapter is Great Idea by Midnight, Execute by Midday. We basically saw Groupon. We said, shit, this is good. Let's start building it. And we started building it literally the next day. Uh, Today, those 80 competitors have completely disappeared. They've disappeared years ago, by the way. And today, there's only two players in the market that are still competing. It's uh, Scoopon that ended 
ended in a merge up with uh, the Lux Group, Luxury Escapes, and, uh, and group on themselves. The other 78 are no longer here, and I can't even name them because I've forgotten about them a long time ago. The reason we succeeded is in the execution. It's not the idea. Uh, these are dime a dozen. <laughs> mm, yeah, I agree. So I'm curious, uh, you know, when it comes to, I guess, with Catch of the Day, you, you know, in the book you've talk, you talk about over, you know, many different businesses that digital businesses that you've either developed yep. or started. Yep. I'm curious, um, what about focus? It's a very good question, and we definitely talk about that in the book as well. So in two, uh, after we're launching Scoopon, which was in April 2010, we realized that we're onto something very special. We were able to take our existing database that we have developed for the last five years. That database is very large, call it a million customers. They absolutely love and trust us because they come and visit us every day. And we were able to divert that database from Catch to Scoopon. And Scoopon turned into an amazing success story. So we sat in the office and said, wow, what else can we do? What other verticals can we replicate and build with the toolbox that we have developed in our building? The toolbox meaning the customer service team, the IT team, yep. the marketing team, the database, the financial backing, and so on. And the next business that we've built, and this we've built all that in one year. We launched Grocery Run, a site selling groceries online. Uh, would you believe, Adam, that... Grocery Run sold groceries online before Coles and Woolworths. Yeah. So they haven't realized the opportunity as early as 2011. And that was quite successful. Six months later, we launched another site called Mumgo, M-U-M-G-O, site for mums and baby products. Call it uh, Baby Bunting Online. And Mumgo was also very successful. Would you believe on the first day of Mumgo, we've already had 371,000 members that have migrated from our other website, wow. ready for the launch of the site. I mean, these are phenomenal numbers today and certainly phenomenal in 2012, which was more than eight years ago. And that wasn't enough for us, Adam. So we continued and we um, bought the majority stake in a wine business based in Adelaide called Vinomofo. And we migrated them from Adelaide to our office in uh, Mulgrave, Melbourne. And guess what? That wasn't enough either. And we spotted another hot trend around the world, the trend of uh, food delivery from restaurant. And we launched a site called Eat Now. Same concept that I've just uh, mentioned and repeated. Uh, we did the same thing with Eat Now that was competing at this time with only one Australian player called Menulog. I'm going to stop here because I can go in various different directions, but I want you to lead the conversation. Yeah, no, no, this is great because, like, I've kind of seen a little bit of this story as well yeah. because... Um, I by the way, your question was on focus. I didn't even answer that. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, because yeah. I, um, I actually know Jeremy, Jeremy Sane. Of so, course. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's part of the story, of course. Yeah, yeah that's right. So um, you keep spinning up businesses. I think it's really, really smart that you're looking to capitalize on uh, you know, existing database and then just bolt on other ways that you can help service yep. and provide value to that, that customer base. Yep. When you spin up these other uh, businesses, do you go through an idea validation process? Like what does that look like? Nope. I like to call this whole topic gut feeling. 
<laughs> about but what is gut feeling, you know? I'm 50 years old and I've got 50 years of experience of reading Founder and reading TechCrunch <laughs> and reading the financial review and seeing what's happening around the world. And uh, when you make yourself aware of your surroundings, that's where you spot opportunities, you know? We talk in the book about the concept of luck. And we think that luck is composed of three things. The first one is learning, what I just mentioned. The second one is timing. And of course, timing is always important. And, you know, and we can definitely see that right now as we approach 2021. And I think it's going to be the best time ever to launch a startup or invest in a startup. Mm. And the other part in timing is, uh, is location. What's location? Making yourself available. I made myself available to meet you today and discuss that. And I know that good things will happen to me and to you by our interaction. Mm. Uh, and I've been making myself available throughout my career. I go to conferences and I'll go to events and you shake hands and you kiss babies and good things happen to you when you do all that. And uh, that's the gut feeling and the luck and all mixed up. But at the same time, we're, we're entrepreneurs need to back themselves and entrepreneurs need to have uh, high tolerance for risk. Mm. And I think that both myself and my brother have that high tolerance for risk. We're not afraid to take risks. We're not afraid to fail. And by the way, this book, Catch of the Decade, number one on Booktopia, is full of success stories, but it's also full of failures. And we failed many, many times, Adam. We failed many times, but we don't cry about spilt milk. You don't worry about it, and you just keep on moving. And that failure can cost millions of dollars sometimes. I'm curious, can you tell us uh, about some of these failures, like perhaps even like Menulog, like what happened there? Like it was Menulog a, was a massive success. Really? Do you know what Menulog sold for? <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know when it when it got spun up. But I remember, I remember in the early days though, yeah. it, it was a struggle to get going, right? Menulog. It was definitely a struggle. Yes. I mean, look, look yeah. Menulog was a separate business run from Sydney. Yes, we ran it now. Yes. Uh, during the, f the first two years of it now, we were working extremely hard at trying to build a business while we competed against Menulog at the same time. Yes. We discuss in the book that after two years of running it, the business was losing something like $300,000 uh, a month yes. in running cost. But we still believed in it. We still backed it. And uh, let's be honest, it did pay off. Mm. So in that book, talking about focus and talking about running various businesses at the same time, we, we, we mentioned the line that uh, in business, you need to kiss a few frogs in order to find your princess. And yes, we have kissed a few frogs and some of them succeeded, some did not. But our princess was certainly a menu log. Yes. Uh, just to clarify to your audience, menu log and it now merged in February 2015. And suddenly Australia had one strong player that controlled the food delivery. Mm. To remind you again, this, this happened before Uber Eats and Deliveroo entered Australia. So again, we had no competition. Uh, the combined entity of Menulog and Eat Now, which by the way, we owned 30% of, and Menulog in Sydney owned 70% of, uh, ended up selling to uh, an equivalent large company from England called uh, Just Eat for the crazy sum of $855 million. So I certainly cannot categorize the, the it now menu log transaction in the uh, failure basket. This was one of our uh, one of our major successes and definitely uh, an exit to remember. Yeah, no, I guess I probably should have clarified in yeah. the early days. I know it was yeah. a bit of a struggle. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And I'm curious, like if we know that, like in the early days, like menu log was a bit of a struggle because Uber Eats hadn't come, and that concept of 
you know, ordering food online was so foreign. How did you know to persist? I can't, I can't answer that. I mean, I'm guessing that within the office, we had millions of arguments of, sh of should we or shouldn't we? And, and it happens in lots of lots of offices all around the world as you run your business. And none of us know whether this will get somewhere or will it get nowhere. And uh, yes, well, there were times that we said losing $300,000 a month is not something that we wish to continue with. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we rolled the dice and we decided to, yes, continue with it. And uh, yeah, we managed to get to the other side of the rainbow. Uh, and I'm happy to say that, uh, yeah, that we did. <laughs> hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. And I'm curious around catch. You guys ended up rebranding. Yeah. Why? I think it was an easy choice, but the main reason that we rebranded, so Catch of the Day started in 2006 selling one deal a day. That one deal a day concept probably continued until about 2012-ish for about five or six years. And then Catch became something completely different. It became uh, some sort of a, a flash type department store where we sold tens of thousands of products every single day but they were sold in the form of events. What's an event? A sale on Adidas shoes, a sale on cameras, sale of groceries, sale of baby supplies, and so on. The model of flash deals stuck, whereby our deals were limited in time yeah. and in offer, and the prices were still unbelievable, and I think that they are still unbelievable till today. Catch is very much known to be a discounter. Uh, in 2017, we decided that we want to go down the, uh, we want to introduce a marketplace to catch. We found ourselves until 2017 with a full warehouse, uh, lots of people packing, lots of people buying, lots of people photographing, but we still only had about 30,000 products in our warehouse. In comparison, eBay sells tens of millions of products. Mm. So there were many items that we were not selling. Yes. And... We couldn't sell them ourselves. Our bank account was already, you know, we've, we've maximized our space, our talent, and our financial backing. And uh, looking at the success of Amazon and other marketplaces around the world, we decided to open a marketplace. And we did exactly that. And we used the opportunity to rebrand our site from catch of the day, because we were no longer of the day, to catch. It was an easy transition and an easy rebrand because a lot of people were talking about us as catch for years previous to that, and we were referring to, uh, to ourselves as catch. 
So the transition was really easy, and I'm happy to say that three or four years later, people still use Catch. They still use Catch of the Day. We called our book that's number one on Booktopia. Did I mention that? Catch of the Decade. And in the back of the book, there's a picture of me holding the Catch of the Day logo. So we are connected to both the Catch logo and the Catch of the Day logo. And I'm happy for you to refer to us as the founders of Catch or Catch yeah. of the Day. We, we love both brands. That's just the same. Yeah, yeah. Look, we've never met, but like we have some mutual friends and stuff. And yeah, you, like you and your brother are referred to as the Catch guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, the Catch of the Day. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So there is a consistent theme across the businesses that you have either launched or developed. Uh, always tend to be online, e commerce, and a strong kind of two-sided marketplace. Not all of them, but a lot are. Um, so one thing that I find just absolutely fascinating is just so many and how the <laughs> hell you can focus and like, even like when you launch another one that requires team and like, you know, your team, your core team at the time before yeah. you launch that yeah. new company, they're going to be only excited yeah. around the new thing, right? Because the new is fun, right? How do you maintain yeah. those, you know, your business as usual, the core business yeah. while you're, yeah. you know, adventuring with yeah. other stuff? I, I, I know that it yeah. sounds amazing, but as I'm reminiscing and as I've written the book and I spent a lot of time thinking about our journey, uh, we, we actually we actually mentioned what, what the secret sauce here and we left it till the end of the book. And the secret sauce is what we like to call building entrepreneurs within the business. Not entrepreneurs with an E, but in, uh, entrepreneurs with an I. Who are they? These are amazing uh, people that uh, have been with you for quite some time that have what we like to call the, the catch DNA. And the catch DNA means hard work, smarts, think outside the box, etc. And the way that we've launched those businesses is we've generally plucked uh, a successful leader within a certain business and moved them to be in charge of uh, a new incubated business. Yes. So for example, the person that was in charge of Grocery Run, his name is Kalman Pollack. Kalman, by the way, is also my cousin, and he started with us sweeping the floor in our Springville shop at 2008, you know, 12 years ago. And uh, prior to launching Grocery Run in 2011, he was one of our buyers at Catch. Yep. And he's proven himself, and he actually came up with the whole concept of selling groceries online. He actually approached us, and we talk about it in the book, and said, hey guys, we sell lots of stuff on Catch, but we never really sell groceries. Why don't we give groceries a try? And we told him, we're not sure if it's going to work or not, but if you want to give it a try, just go and do it, you know? Mm. And uh, he had what we like to call the catch DNA. Uh, he understood the formula, the mentality. And uh, to answer your question, we surround ourselves with really smart people. We give them the autonomy and the freedom to be able to execute, make decisions. Uh, we like to make decisions as a group rather than as a founding team filtering down the decision, we like to sit together around the room. And one of the things that I'm super proud of is, is the kind of culture that we managed to build uh, within Catch. And if you ask around or if you check LinkedIn and see what's going on right now with the book and all the feedback, everyone just is mesmerized by the kind of culture that we managed to build in those businesses where people were so happy to come to work every single day. 
And when people are happy when they come to work, they always give you 120%. Mm. They don't want to go elsewhere. It doesn't matter. And it, and it goes to a, to a point of being way beyond financial gain. Mm. It's not about your salary. If you enjoy your teammates, the people that are surrounding you every day, and you come every day to an exciting place of work uh, with lots of exciting challenges of being David versus Goliath, you know, trying to conquer the industry and be a leader. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really yeah. miss it, Adam, because I haven't been doing it for about, uh, you know, 16 months already. <laughs> yeah, no, look, that, that uh, environment is really infectious and that's where the real magic and the energy can, yeah, can happen. So I'm curious as well, um, what, are your, what is your advice on even just like building, the, uh, for people watching or listening, like looking to build that early stage team, that founding team, like what are some key elements around building a really infectious culture? I think, I think culture is being built from the top, you know, and I have to say that the culture of catch was, was myself, you know, uh, I love people. Uh, I, I, I like to show them that I love them. Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and people absolutely enjoy that kind of, an atmosphere. The other thing that has to come from the top is, uh, is, is work ethic. Myself and my brother were always at work, always there to lend a hand, listen. Talking about lending a hand, you know, in the early days when a container arrived outside our, our warehouse, we all jump in and we unload the container. And if there's too many emails from customer service, we all jump in and we lend a hand. And if there's too many orders, then, then I was a warehouse guy as well. And when your team sees that kind of an attitude and they can see you working late at night and sending messages, trying to create and keep on building, uh, it creates that, uh, that infectious, uh, you know, magic. Again, I use the word DNA all the time, you know, because it's, it's something very, very special that, uh, that we've created. There's no secret formula here. I mean, we can talk about that forever. Generally, questions that I get about culture, I find them the, the hardest to explain, Adam, because how do you explain a culture that was built over a, a decade and a half? Uh, we, we try our best in the book, but uh, you know, I hope that, uh, that that will be able to lead your audience somewhere. But it's yeah. very hard, very hard to dis, dis, well, yeah, say it's one. Hard. You can only understand culture if you're in it and you see it and it's what you, what you observe, yeah. right? So no, no, I understand, um, but no, I think you really answered that question. So I'm curious, let's talk about more lessons. Like, you know, you've, you've got some incredible experiences here. What else would you like to share with our audience when it comes to, to building and scaling digital businesses and, and exiting them as well? Did we talk about risk or not yet? Nope. Okay, so let's talk about risk, you know. Risk is one of those uh, traits that I think become easier with repetition. The more risk you take, the more comfortable you are with taking risk. I think that myself and my brother are quite different people, but when it comes to taking risks, this is one of those characteristics that both of us are very similar at. Mm. Uh, we got to a point where we can take it blindly and we don't have to get each other's permission, <laughs> kind mm. of, you know? Uh, for example, I remember that my brother wasn't that interested in, uh, in the logistics side of the business, in the warehousing. And as early as 2000, mid-2013, we invested $20 million into a robotic automa automation wow. in, in our warehouse on the western side of Melbourne. 
My brother wasn't interested in that at all, and he completely trusted me in the process of finding the, uh, the system and uh, negotiating the deal and installation and everything else. Uh, so this was a $20 million risk, so to speak, yeah. that we completely trusted each other uh, blindly. We invest in lots of uh, Melbourne startups. We invested in startups and, and businesses like uh, Tribe by Jules Lund yep. and uh, High Pages that yep. will most likely be, uh, be listed this year. Yep, uh, very well. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, we, we really enjoy, you know, sharing our, our learnings with, uh, with other local businesses. But again, it involves risks. And uh, we also invested in a few startups that completely failed, that I'm embarrassed to say that we gave the money. But it is what it is, Adam. You have to take risks sometimes. And if you don't, you're not going to benefit from, uh, from future growth. Yeah. And um, So I, I'm curious then when it comes to risk, it's around decision making. Yeah. And, you know, when, once you've got, like you had a really, you know, really big win with catch and then you've kind of built upon that, right? And you've kind of made key decisions, right? But you you guys would have been at a point where there's infinite amount of things you can try. There's infinite amount of things you can do. And it's actually still what, what you say no to, right? Like there are going to be some things that you say no to and you have some sort of decision-making framework around what is it What is it that excites you? What is it that it gut, your gut tells you? Yeah. Like, can you so, tell me a little bit about like how you make these kinds of decisions? So I'll, I'll tell you a story of uh, something that we failed in our decision making. Yeah. Around 2017, we did quite a lot of things. So we launched that marketplace yep. and we merged with Luxury Escapes yep. to get a share in that business. It was a very, very busy year and we we're also starting to prepare for an IPO. And suddenly we got a phone call from uh, New Zealand this company called uh, Pumpkin Patch that manufactures kids' apparel and clothing went into receivership. Yep. And uh, are, are we interested in the database and the IP? And we jumped on a plane to Auckland and we purchased the IP and the database of Pumpkin Patch. Yep. And uh, the, more, the, the story there is basically titled to uh, stick to what you know best. And the difference between what Catch of the Day was doing till that time and Pumpkin Patch was quite different. And unfortunately, we only realized it a year later. Mm. Catch of the Day's specialty was buying end of lines and clearance from suppliers, photographing it, putting it on our you know, B2C website and shipping it out. Pumpkin Patch required a completely different uh, you know, DNA and, uh, and structure whereby we had to design kids' clothing find factories in China that manufacture them, bring them around in skews, sizes, seasonality, photographing young kids. And uh, long story short, a year later, we realized that it's not working. It's not for us for a bunch of reasons. The main reason, it was very distracting. We had so much going on in the office. It was a small part of the business, but it was taking a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, warehouse space, and so on. And uh, they say that, you know, changing your mind is a sign of intelligence. And we've changed our mind. Mm. We thought that it's going to be a great idea. And I'm very happy to say that a year later, we completely changed our mind and we shut that business. We ended up selling it to a company in New Zealand called EasyBuy. That's part of the Noni B Group. And uh, I'm sure it's very successful under their stewardship because this is exactly what they do and they know how to do it. But this was very different from what uh, we were doing at the time. 
Yeah. Uh, again, put it in the bin, forget about it. Don't cry about spilt milk. We probably lost a little bit of money on it, but so be it. Yeah, no, interesting. So, yeah, you've learned, like, yeah, it's really difficult to do new things that you're not, like, part of your core, right? But at the same time, like, it could be argued, like, with grocery run, isn't that kind of different from catch? Uh, no, it wasn't. And I think grocery run was, was really a, a great success because it was, uh, it was a win-win for both sides. What happened with grocery run, they were able to open relationships with lots and lots of grocery supplies that were not selling on catch. Initially, they were selling those groceries on grocery run alone. Yes. But after a very short time, we started selling the same groceries. When I say groceries, it could be vitamins and yes. perfumes and, and uh, cosmetics and so on. And, uh, and we tried to sell exactly the same goods on catch, and suddenly we realized that catch can sell five or 10 times the volume that grocery run would sell. Yes. So to the consumer, they were actually selling to the catch group, and catch group was merchandising those products on both grocery run and on catch. And guess what? Some of the same products were actually selling on Mamgo as well, if they were mum and baby related. So yes. it was an interesting formula. The problem with that when it comes to focus is that which brand do we push? Yes. When I go to an interview or when we do an ad in a newspaper or TV, which brand do we talk about? And uh, I think it was an easy choice. Ca catch was the, the cash cow, yes. the, 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 you know, the, the site that touched absolutely everyone. And after some time, both Grocery Run and Mamgo ended up integrating and becoming part of... Uh, of catch. Interesting. Um, yeah, so now you've kind of uh, consolidated. We what? consolidated it. So in one way, maybe the best path forward would be to not build verticals. Saying that, if we didn't go down the vertical path, we wouldn't have discovered it now. Mm, it's yeah. been an interesting journey. I think I should write a book about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So um, <laughs> to kind of work towards wrapping up and rounding things out, you ended up selling to West Farmers. Yes. Uh, Late last year, right? Yeah, it was in August 2019. Uh, Catch sold to West Farmers. It's the owner of Australia's uh, Bunnings, Kmart, Target, and Officeworks. It just, you know, I pinch myself just thinking about, you know, uh, the achievement that Catch now sits under the same umbrella, and it sold for $230 million. Okay, amazing. And... Um, yeah, so you've had three exits and uh, yeah, over one billion in, is that annual revenue? No, no, one billion is the total number of the exits because okay. uh, it now sold for 8.55 yep. and catch was 2.30 and the total is 1.08 or something. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. So um, working towards wrapping up, one thing that I have noticed that is consistent across your journey, you and your brother, and uh, like I said, I've never met you but heard, heard of you and your brother around the traps because we have mutual friends, sure. is... Uh, not afraid to buy a portion, invest a portion, do JVs with yep. other companies, yep. merge together yep. and moving quite fast. Why is that? That's very unique. Look, we talk about it uh, quite a lot in the book and it's definitely been a trend. And before we came up with the concept, with the book's name of Catch of the Decade, we actually thought of calling the book one plus one equals three because one plus one equals three was a trend or a thread that goes throughout our history. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we are true believers that you can achieve more by teaming up with your direct competitor or a competitor of sorts. And uh, you should be satisfied and you'll gain more by having a smaller piece of a bigger pie. 
And we've proven it uh, yeah, once, obviously, with menu log. Got a smaller piece of a bigger pizza. And then we did exactly the same thing with, uh, with our friends at the Lux Group. Yes. So today, myself and my brother own 20% of Luxury Escapes. And together we own the Daily Deal site, which is a scoop on and Kudo. Yes. And uh, it is great not to have a direct competitor of sort, but there's so many other benefits because there's, so, there's other brands that can now sit around the table and think about what else we can do with those businesses. In a way, we did the same thing with, uh, with uh, West Farmers, but in that case, we did not keep any piece of that pie. They bought the whole, uh, the whole pie. But I'm certain that in whatever other businesses or ventures we go into in the future, we would look at that early on in the, uh, in the journey rather than later in the journey because it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it's really smart and it's often like a, <clears throat> bit, a bit of a taboo thing because you want, like you look at the competitor and you want to compete and you want know, to beat them know, and, and you, you look at what they're doing and you copy what they're doing. That's right, yeah, yeah. that's right. But if you put the egos aside, we're all, you know, nice guys that would really enjoy dinner or a coffee together. And, uh, you know, in the book we talk about the, 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 the great success that myself and my brother achieved and we say that if it wasn't the two of us, we could not have done as many things. So you can certainly achieve a lot more if you have a larger group of people. Mm. Like, for example, I can tell you that Catch plus Kogan would have been a much more successful company than Catch and Kogan separately. Mm. Of course, we never did a deal with them, but yeah, yeah, it yeah. would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, no. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So um, you said uh, you've been out of the game for... 12 or so months, uh, kind yeah. of uh, probably semi-retired but working on the yeah. next thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, like what's next? What's exciting for you? So look, it's been a crazy year, of course. And as soon as we, uh, as soon as we sell the business, we thought we we're going to have a lot of fun and traveling and enjoy some rest. But then Corona came and we just walked a lot around <laughs> our local park. So at least we can say that we've um, you know, written a book, which is something that I can show my grandchildren. But we have discovered during Corona that, there's, uh, that we're not ready to retire. <laughs> and Corona has certainly brought with it a lot more problems in the digital space that require uh, solving. So uh, we're just about to launch next week uh, a new business. That new business is, uh, is going to be called uh, Little Birdie. Little Birdie told me. And uh, Little Birdie will be a, a site that will feature uh, the best deals in the country, the best coupons in the country, and uh, so on. That's all I can really say right now. But we're hoping that it will become your daily destination of, uh, of discovery. Interesting. Okay. Amazing. That's exciting. So, so yeah, obviously, that's, that's coming soon. And, yeah, uh, two last questions. Yep. One, any final words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience that during this time period, like, you know, you started uh, Catch of the Day during a recession, we're in a recession now. Any final words of wisdom? And then also, where's the best place people can find out more about Catch of the Decade? Final words of wisdom to people that are looking to start something is don't wait for perfection. A lot of founders think that they need to perfect their product uh, to be ready for the day of launch. It doesn't have to be perfect. I can promise you that a month, six months, or a year later, it will be completely different. It may pivot to a different direction altogether, or, or, or it will just need to keep improving. 
Don't wait for perfection. Jump in the water right now. January 2021 is the best time ever to launch a startup. If you missed the uh, the 2006 rush that I was lucky enough to be uh, to be a part of. The book is sold uh, absolutely everywhere right now. Of course, online you can get it from Booktopia, from Catch, from Amazon, etc. But it's in every uh, good and not so good bookstores all around the country. Feedback's been amazing. I think it's going to be the, the you know, the Bible of uh, Australian entrepreneurship in the in the coming years. Um, I'm really excited about this book. <laughs> amazing. Well, look, Gabby, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and uh, yeah, sharing just so much wisdom and like lessons and failures and like just everything you've learned. And congratulations on all your success. It was a pleasure. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.